morning. We're going to read Philippians together, if you'd like to stand and join me. If you need a Bible, there should be some underneath your chairs in front of you. I believe the page is 636, will be in chapter 1, starting in verse 19 through 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For, me, for, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but also of your salvation, that is from God. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should suffer not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw, and that I had now, and here that I still have. You may be seated. Hope you're doing well. Um, you probably know this, but we rent this building. And so there's a dance floor here. So I hope uh, hope you all got your linen ephod on the way in. We're going to have a Psalm 50 kind of style dance at the after, during worship today. So I'm just kidding. They're like freaking out. Oh, no, I got to dance as worship. No, we're not. Um, I just thought it was funny. But there's a dance floor here. There it is. So, <clears throat> all right, we're going to pray, obviously, and we need to, and jump into Philippians. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as a church body and look into your word. We thank you for your word, God, that these are your words um, given to us. And so we pray that because of that, that we would approach your word um, with awe and reverence, as well as a deep desire to want to be obedient to it. Um, And that whatever it says, if we're in Christ... We would yield ourselves to it. Pray for myself, God, that you would help me speak with truth and accuracy and grace. And that, including myself, all of us, Lord, that we would be moved by your spirit today to a deeper walk with Christ. We love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, we started in... Uh, verse 18 in Philippians 1, and we just went 18, 19, 20, 21, um, and stopped there. Really, it was 18, the last four words, five words, and 19, 20, 21. And as we got to 21, we just stopped. My goal was to go 19 through 30, but I just made it to 21, and we stopped at 21. 
Because as we're looking at the kind of big picture idea of 19 through 30, there's two godly desires that Paul is outlining that believers should have. One is to live. And if you're going to live, it's going to be for Jesus Christ. The second is that if I'm not going to live, if I'm going to die, that I finally get to go and be in heaven with Jesus. And those two godly desires he's laid out for us. One is living for Christ. One is finally getting to go be with Christ in heaven. And so as we looked at that first godly desire for me to live as Christ, um, I just stopped and I said, okay, we could keep going through and see for me to live as Christ means and then unpack all the, the categories and thoughts and implications that Paul tells us here. But instead I stopped. I just stopped at verse 21 and said, instead of just assuming that everybody here is going to say, yes, of course, just we looked at 21 and we thought this is a pretty serious question for me to live as Christ. Are you going to do it? Remedy, we're absolutely dependent upon the answer to the question, are you going for me for, to be able to say, for me to live as Christ, we're dependent upon everyone to say, yes. And so we just stopped and we let the spirit move last week and we just answered that one question. What does it mean if we're going to say, or not what does it mean, are we going to say yes to the question for me to live as Christ? And I just said, next week we'll talk about what it looks like. Next week we'll talk about the implications. So here we are, and next week. <clears throat> now, before we jump into this, I want to just give us a little bit of understanding about the genre in which we're looking at. That's the type of literature that we're looking at. This is an epistle. This is a letter. This is Paul writing a letter. We've been going through Matthew, you know, forever. So we, we took a little break at chapter 18, and I think it was a year and a half, about 18 chapters. And Matthew is narrative. It's story. And so as you're going through story, um, you're looking at the life of Christ and how he's interacting with people. And so there's very much for us. We're observing things. We're looking at the story. We're letting Matthew tell us a narrative because that's important. And as he's telling us the narrative, we're taking observations of just finding ourselves in awe of the way Jesus interacts with people. We're reflecting upon those things. We're thinking. And so we need to let the genre be the genre. And we're thinking about narrative. But here we're in a letter. This is an epistle. And so I'm not trying to dichotomize at all narrative versus epistle. There's plenty of interaction between the two and similarities. But when we look at theology, this is after Christ had been resurrected. This is Paul writing to a specific church in Philippi. And he's writing a letter. And as he's writing this letter, he's wanting to um, teach theology. So because this is a letter, because this is an epistle, he's educating them in theology. He's wanting them to have um, an understanding of theology and, and who Christ is and what he, he demands of us. And based on that, there should be conviction in our life. I mean, I'm not saying there's not conviction as we look through Matthew. I, I've got plenty. Hopefully you have. Um, and so the spirit obviously works on all of them. But we're looking here and this is going to be a very rich theological text that we're going to look at, which must drive us towards more than likely um, an understanding of who Christ is. The spirit comes and sends conviction and comfort at the same time. And it demands response. It just demands response. And so we're looking at this kind of literature today. And we're looking at Philippians um, chapter 1. And we're going to really take 19 through 30. And as I said, there's, there's two big pieces, two godly desires that believer ha- believers should have. One is if I'm going to live, the rest of my life is going to be for Christ. Not for me. Not for my playing games, not for my leisure, not for my whatever, but for me to live as Christ. And then one day, praise God, because this is not my home. The other godly desire is that I finally get to go and be with Christ in heaven. Both can be held simultaneously. And there's a little conflict or a little, a little angst inside of that. And we're going we're gonna to look at that in just a second. Um, but what I want to do here is we're going to look at for me to live as Christ and Paul 
um, is going to give us some categories or some understandings or some implications or whatever you want to say. There's five things that help us see what it means to live as Christ. Now, certainly, as you look at these five, you could say, well, I could come up with some more details than that. I mean, and yeah, we all can. But we're just going to let Paul give us these five and we're just going to talk about those five. So there's five um, Five understandings or implications or categories of thought or whatever you want to say about what it means for us to say, if I'm going to live for Christ, then this is what it means. For me to live as Christ means, and then we're going to look at this. And so these are the five understandings or categories of thought. So let's go ahead and look at, uh, we can flip over to 21. That's kind of our, uh, verse 21 is kind of our big text that gives us all these understandings. And so it says in verse 21, for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain, just Clear as day, the two godly desires right there. And then we're going to see what some of those things are. So let's look at 22 and we're going to keep going. Now, I want you to notice um, the, the language that Paul uses here. Um, because it's, I mean, it's just deeply emotional, deeply emotional. And he says, if I am to live in the flesh, if I'm going to be alive, that means fruitful labor. This word labor is the Greek word work. And he's saying, if I'm going to be alive, if I'm going to breathe every moment that I'm breathing. It has to be for Christ. And not only is it going to be for Christ, I'm not just going to say, thank you for saving me. Exit ramp over, sit over here on this exit and just cruise control the rest of my life. Not doing take any risk for Jesus, not do anything. Instead, he's going to say, if I'm going to live, it's going to be not just labor, but fruitful labor. I have to have, I, 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 I'm going to strive for it no matter what, that if I'm going to live, I must have fruitful labor in my life. I will not settle for anything else. And so obviously for us, that's saying for me to live as Christ, we, we want to push ourselves to have fruitful labor. I'm going, it's work. I mean, there's no question. It is absolute work to live for Christ. But he's not just saying, I just don't want to work. I want to see fruitful labor. And so he says, if I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Now we're going to start seeing here where Paul's holding up those two godly desires because they are different. One means he's alive and one means he's dead. And he's going to start kind of talking about the two and saying, which one do I want? I hold them both simultaneously, but let's say I had to pick. Let's say I wanted one more or the other. Which one would I pick? And so he's going to talk about this for a couple of verses. Look, this is what he says. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. We can understand that, right? And it, we can understand why. Here it is. My desire, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So here, when we see I'm hard pressed between the two, which shall I choose? I'm hard pressed. Um, some people, some commentators have taken that and saying, this is Paul having his Shakespeare moment. I got corrected for surgery, uh, first surgery, first sermon um, service that this is Hamlet. Uh, saying that I said Romeo, like, you know, what am I talking about? Um, But Hamlet says this when he says to be or not to be. um, That is the question. Do I want to kill myself or do I want to? And so some people are saying this is Paul's Hamlet moment. He's he's saying, do I want to kill myself right now and go to heaven? Or do I just want to stay alive? I I don't think that's the case. I don't think Paul would would kill himself. Um, I think that what he's saying here is both of these are, are good. One is better. But, oh, I feel the angst between them both because going to heaven, being with Christ is good. But staying here, being used by Christ. And if I'm going to be here, it has to be fruitful labor. I will not just settle for living in cruise control neutral. And so he's, he's just talking about this with the Philippians. And he says, but to remain is more necessary on your on your account. You can just see the 
other-mindedness that Paul has of other people, the um, selfless nature in which he thinks that this gift from God, his life is, is, is not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and pouring my life out for others. You can just see it as he talks here. And then he says, convinced of this, knowing that since I'm breathing, obviously I should be here. The moment I stop breathing, then it's finally the second godly desire. But as I breathe, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue. Those two Greek words, remain and continue. When you see the chi construct between it, the and, um, you can just put those two verbs as they always are taken together. And the way it's written is that you can write expect to. So um, convinced of this, I know that I can expect to without any question. I'm banking on it, remain. And you know that I can conspect to and without any question, continue with you all. There's no doubt in Paul's mind that he's going to be doing these things. He's going to be continuing, remaining, and he's going to be continuing. It's not, I'm hoping so. I'm not well maybe it's that's why you see the convinced of this the the translators are wanting us to see the the expectation of paul that it's this is absolutely going to happen convinced of this i expect that these things are going to happen for and then he's going to say a couple things there convinced of this i'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith now we're talking about to live as christ and so i'm going to give you five understandings or categories of thought implications whatever the first three are going to be Paul saying, if I'm going to live for Christ, this is how it affects other people. The last two are going to say, if I'm going to live for Christ, this is what it means for me. The way I think, the way I act, the way I conduct myself. So we're going to look at the first three. Now, <clears throat> it's difficult. It's hard work. Some of you don't know this, but maybe some of you do. I'm, I'm a soccer coach, and I got to tell you, I mean, I'm... I'm probably the league best and you eight. I've got just an amazing group of six and seven year olds that I have molded together. They're all Pele. And I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't know anything. Like I, I just say, kick it harder. That's all I got. So um, this one kid, uh, he, he kept during this past game, this past Thursday, he kept like, um, you know, they're all in the age where they're losing their teeth. So little Charlie, he comes up and he's, he's just fiddling with his teeth the whole time. I'm like, Charlie, buddy. Could you please leave your teeth alone? And we got a soccer game here to play. He's just fiddling with his teeth, fiddling with his teeth. And so I, they allow the coaches on the field just to let you know how awesome this league is. They let the coaches on the field, which is why I have a voice that's going away because I yell a lot during the season. Um, not in a bad way, but anyway. So Charlie's, instead of playing soccer, he's just keep fiddling with his teeth. And I'm just coaching. I'm like, go, go, kick it harder. Kick it to the guy, you know, whatever. And so Charlie runs up to me, goes, coach. Lost my tooth. And he hands it to me and it just runs off. So the rest of the game, I'm holding Charlie's tooth in my hand. And I'm just like, this is nasty. And if you know me, like, you know, if you know me, that's killing me. And I'm just like, please get me to Charlie's parents as fast as possible. Let the ball go out of bounds beside him so I can be like, ugh, there it is. Take it. Um, And so, I mean, it's just the way I'm wired, I guess, here. But... Being like commitment. I didn't even know. Like there's a deep commitment to being a soccer coach. I wasn't even expecting. I'm sitting here holding the child's tooth that came out of his mouth. And you don't know where his mouth has been. Blah, blah, blah. So it's hard work. I mean, it's hard work if you're going to give yourself over to something. It's hard work. And, you know, obviously I'm trying to make a connection here. If we're going to say for me to live as Christ, it demands fruitful labor. And yes, it's hard work. You will without question do things. You will do things you don't want to do. Jesus is going to ask you to do things for him that sometimes you don't want to do. It's hard work. And so as we're seeing these first, if we're going to say, if you said last week, yes, for me to live as Christ, these first three are going to be so others minded, others minded that it might, it might be more difficult than you can imagine. But I want you to see this. We see this in verse 25, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue 
with you all for your progress. We're going to skip joy. We're coming back to it in the faith. So here's the first thing. If you're going to say yes for me to live as Christ, then here it is. You must, as a believer, you must focus on other believers, sanctification, discipleship, and mission. You must, as, a, as someone who's going to say, yes, I'm going to live for Christ. You must, and I'm just taking that from the word progress. You must say, yes, others' progress in the faith is what I'm shooting for. Not just my own. I'm not just going to study my systematics and just get better at knowing all the kind of stuff. I am absolutely others' focus. We're going to get to yourself soon. But for a believer in Christ, you must look towards helping other people progress in the faith. And I put three ways to think about progressing other people in the faith in, that, in this first one where you see sanctification, discipleship, mission. And that just means people need help and need to be able to see how to grow in their Christ likeness. And so you need to come alongside them and help them see how to grow in sanctification or Christ likeness. People need discipleship. Not everybody knows the Bible that well. And if you know the Bible, if you can read it and understand it. The Lord has given you a gift and you need to be others focused and go to them and disciple them and help them understand the word, help them along the sanctification. And lastly, mission. Some people just have the gift of mission. I mean, there was a guy in seminary, his name was Noah. Every time we were around anybody, within two minutes, he was telling them the gospel. And I was, how do you do that? You were at the pizza place. How do you do that? Um, it didn't matter where we were. He just got it around to the gospel. And he was, and they were like, oh, you're right. I need Jesus. Let's pray right now. I'm like, oh, how do you do that? You know, but this guy, he understood that we are supposed to be on mission. So we, as believers, yes to Christ. Yes, my life is for him. We are others focused on helping them along in sanctification and discipleship and mission. This is what it means. If we're going to say yes for me to live as Christ. The second one is right there in that same verse when he says, um, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue for you all for your, we're going to skip progress this time, joy in the faith. Joy in the faith. So if we're going to say yes for me to live as Christ, then the second one is we must help other believers grow in their joy and treasuring of Jesus. We must help other people grow in their joy and treasuring of Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a little bit of difference between the, between the first one. The first one is helping them in killing sin, helping them understand the Bible. This is helping them see that based on those things, Jesus is now your only joy. Jesus is your only hope for joy. There are so many things that are vying for your affections, vying for your deep joy here in America. And we as believers want to help others and, of course, ourselves remember that Jesus is the only place that we're going to find true joy. The book of Philippians, as I've said, a reoccurring theme over and over is joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. Christ, our joy is the name of this series. And we are pushing towards finding a deep joy in Jesus, a deep joy in Jesus. So as we look at these two, here's the thing. Let's take a step back and say, are you spiritually mature? Have you been a believer for a while? And I'm not trying to ask you to, you know, be arrogant. Yeah, I am. 20 years. What's up? Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, think about who you are in Christ. How far along? And we all know whether we're new believers or old believers. And, and we just say, okay, I am. And let me just say, where are you then in regard to doing this? Are you others focused? Are you thinking about people around you? If you're 
a more seasoned Christian, if you've been a believer a while, are you thinking that there's other people around me that God has put in my life that I can come around and say, listen, there's a scripture verse that says, Paul says to other people, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not me, it's Christ. I said, as I follow Christ. So let's, let's follow Christ together. I want to help you find joy and treasure in Jesus. I want to help you in discipleship and sanctification and mission. I want to I come alongside you. Or have you just pulled off the exit ramp and you're sitting there in neutral cruising and just waiting for heaven or are you letting people find their joy in christ are you helping them when they see other things idolatrous things that they pour out their joy and affections on that are you coming alongside them and you saying this isn't where you're going to find your joy now that's for seasoned believers what if you're young in the faith you got to get around people that are older in the faith you got to. You got to go to people and say, I don't know how to treasure Christ. I don't know how to progress in sanctification. I, I want for this verse 25 to be the case in my life where I can progress and have my joy in the faith. Could you help me? Could you please help me? And if, they're, if they say yes, then they are mature. If they say no, then they're probably not mature. So um, Jonathan Edwards, as he's unpacking and helping us understand where Jesus is the source of our joy. This is what he says. This is so good. Edwards is awesome. If you can understand Edwards, you should go read him. Uh, He's difficult, but if you can understand him, he's awesome. This is what he says. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness. And this is written a while back. So he's talking about joy because I know I've made a distinction between happiness and joy. He says, enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, fully enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Then this is awesome. Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children, the company of other friends. Now, all these things are good. And he's not going to say these things are bad. All these things are good. But they're means. We should enjoy them. We should be glad. I'm so happy I have children. They drive me crazy. But I love them. I can't, I can't wait to be with them. I, I love being married. I'm, I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm sure I drive her crazy, but um, it's, a, it's a gift from God. But these are all means. Listen to how he says this. He says, you know, fathers, mothers, children, company of friends, they're all but shadows, but God is the substance. These gifts, family, whatever you, whatever you have, these, um, these are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. So therefore, all these things in our life are are for our enjoyment, but the reason that we have these is to drive back for, back up to the source. So when we say we're helping others people grow in their joy and treasuring of Christ, we're helping them see you don't take these gifts from God and just throw them aside and say, no more gifts from God. I got to, you know, run away from every, anything good and just, you know, be a, an ascetic person that just doesn't want to have anything. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there's gifts. Maybe there's a, a balance between, you know, being really worldly, but there's gifts that God gives me a job, a wife, children, um, different things because we live in this particular country that are just, we get to eat three meals a day, things like this. Right. And so these things are gifts from God, but we don't, we don't let our, our worship and our joy and our treasuring terminate on those gifts. We find ourselves Thankful for them. And it pushes us on to the sun, to the ocean, to the source, to the substance, which is Christ. And that's what we're trying to push others towards. So if we're going to say, yes, then for me to live as Christ, then we are on 
a lifelong pathway towards finding our joy and helping others find their joy in Christ and helping them progress in the faith. So those are the first two. And the last one um, that has to do with others, this comes from 26. It says, um, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in, doesn't say me, right? Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. So basically, Paul definitely wants to go to the Philippians again. He's been there and he's saying that there's going to be a scenario. I'm praying in the future that Philippians, I'm in jail right now. But if I get to come to you, you're going to be so thankful that I've got to come to you. You're not going to say, oh, Paul's here. We're going to glory in Paul. Instead, you're going to say, I'm going to glory in Christ because Paul is here. And Paul sees that as a, as a, as a future kind of possible reality. And he's saying, if I go there. If I can go there, I have provided an opportunity for that believers that whenever I get there, they're going to be so thankful to Jesus that I'm here, that their glory, their response, their worship is going to be directed towards Jesus. Therefore, Paul will be providing an opportunity for these Philippians to give glory to Jesus. You understand? He's provided an opportunity for them to express deeper heartfelt worship and glory to Christ. So for us. If we're going to say, for me to live as Christ, we should, in our interactions with others, provide opportunities for people to express deep heart worship to Jesus. We should provide opportunities for people to give glory to Jesus. Not kind of hang back in neutral land and just say, I hope it works out for you. Let me, and you're thinking, okay, but that's complicated. Give me some examples. That's what I was thinking. So let's, let's get some examples. Let's say it this way. <clears throat> Um, husbands and wives, do you, in your interactions with each other, frustrate each other? Or do you give your spouse opportunities to worship? Do you, husbands, come and lead your wife and study the word in prayer? That gives her an opportunity to give glory and deep heartfelt worship to Jesus. Or um, if there's things that need to be done around the house, do you just say, well, I hope she get those things done. Or do you go and you do them behind the scenes, whether she knows or not, which when those things are free, she's going to see and say, thank you. That gives me a heartfelt worship to God because... Husbands are just beams to the source where, God, you've given me a husband or a wife that deeply cares for me. I give you glory for that. Thank you. And so husbands and wives, how do you interact? Do you just not do anything? Do you say, well, I don't lead them in worship or song or, or reading or anything. I just let them hang out there and they figure it out. We want to provide opportunities to our spouses that they would have opportunities to give glory to Jesus because we serve them well. And this is hard work. Hard work. I picked the hardest one, I think. Children, do you give them opportunities to become worshipers of Jesus? Do you teach them the gospel? Do you discipline them in a Christ-centered way? Not behavior modification. Aimed at the heart. Do you read the word with them and pray with them and point them to Jesus? These are opportunities that you're giving your, your, your children to give glory to Jesus. Or do you just let them figure it out? Roommates, do you give opportunities for your roommate to give glory to Jesus? Do you condone sin when you know they're in willful sin? Do you just let them hope they're going to get it done? Or do you give them opportunities to give glory to Jesus because you love them more than you love the um, you love them more than fear of man. And you go to them and you say, listen, I want you to do this for me, but this is what I see. This isn't pleasing to Christ. There are multitudes 
of examples where you can go to other believers and give them opportunities to glory in Christ because you came to them and you loved them enough, whether they're your spouse, they're your family, or your roommate, or your co-worker, or, or whatever. And it's hard work. It takes a lot of work. But if we're going to say, for me to live is Christ, that means fruitful labor then. So I am others-focused and others-minded for their sanctification, discipleship, and mission. I'm also going to help them and myself understand what it means to treasure Christ above all things. And we're going to, together, seek out opportunities that we can give heartfelt worship and glory to Jesus. So those are the first three. And now we come to 27. And this is more, these last two are more centered upon ourself. If, for me to live as Christ, these are some things that I need to do some some thought life work about, some, some things that I'm going to be living out in my own life and heart. And so we come to 27 and we see the word only. Now, I don't know what version you have, but my version, it says only. And some commentators have said, okay, that's the end of the section right there. 26 is the end of the section. 27 right here, 127 is a new section. And that goes into chapter 2. And so the real section is, you know, 127 on, and that's how you can understand the next. I don't think that's the case, you know. Um, who am I? Nobody. So, but I think that this is actually a continuing into the same section for me to live as Christ. Here's three understandings, categories of thought on what it means to other people. And then here's two right here on what it means for yourself. That's how I'm taking it. It could be either way. It's God's word. So it'll work either way anyway. So, um, however it's preached. So 27, it says only, and now watch this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That right there is amazing. You should, if you underline, and God's not mad if you do that, like you should underline your Bible right there. It's not breaking a commandment or something. Because um, that right there is an is incredible, incredible verse. Now, what I want to do right now is give you a, a deeper thought into even understanding what he's saying there. Because in some translations it comes out, but some it doesn't. This uh, words, let your manner of life, um, that let is our verb. And so let your manner of life, we've got, five words there. Um, in the Greek, it's just one word. It's just one word. And the word is, I want to make sure I can say it right. Politeo, something like that. Um, if we took the word politeo, the verb and made it a noun, it would be citizenship. And so what he's saying is, all right, Christian, if you're a citizen of heaven, then the way that you conduct yourself as a citizen of heaven matters. It means something. It, it has to be so Christ-centered and Christ-focused. Therefore, as a citizen of heaven, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And all that's captured in one Greek word. I mean, so there's your, your plug for why you should learn Greek. Because um, <laughs> I don't know it um, that well. So, you know, I know just enough to be dangerous. Like, I can know a little bit, but I don't know anything. So, um, the Greek word here, politeo is really could be translated, let your manner of life as a citizen of heaven be worthy. And that's all in one word. Let your manner of life as a citizen of heaven be. Therefore, as we're reading this, only let your manner of life as a citizen of heaven be worthy of the gospel. So Paul is, is appealing to us by saying, you're the citizen of heaven. I, I know you've got your roots here. I know you're Americans. And he's appealing to us and saying, but that citizenship is far longer and far stronger and far more important. And so he's appealing to us by note, by saying, based on your citizenship there, your manner of life should be different. Now, 
Let's keep reading because my whole number four comes from 27 and 28. So based on your citizenship of heaven, your manner of life should be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are. And look what he says. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. And just notice here, he, he says that I want you to be doing this. And then he says, whether I come see you or I'm absent. And it's just, I mean, a side note, but it's pretty obvious. The way that we conduct our life for Christ should not be based on um, those around us that we think are important, whether they're there. He's saying, whether I'm with you or absent, you should be. So whoever you think is the spiritual, you know, I know Christ is, but the person that the Lord has placed in your life, you don't conduct your life for Christ based on their presence. You conduct your life on Christ because Christ's presence is always with us. So... Here he says, whether I'm with you or not, I want you to. And then this is amazing language. These two verbs um, standing firm in one spirit with um, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of your destruction uh, of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that is from God. So this is what I want us to see. Um, The fourth one having to do with us, Paul's telling us, and I'm going to explain it all here. That if we're going to live for Christ, then we should live a balanced. I'm going to explain the word balanced with those two verbs. Tenacious Christian life. We should live a balanced, tenacious Christian life. Tenacious is, is, is um, picked carefully. The word tenacious is what we're talking about here in that very beginning of verse 27 where he says, Only let your manner of life based on your citizenship in heaven be worthy of the gospel. That's imp- Paul reaching out to us and because he's reaching up to heaven and saying, based on that, I want you to live in such a way that is heartfelt for Christ. And this is what I mean. Um, we're all Americans more than likely here. Maybe there's one of you that's not, um, especially even this time of year, right? This next month, we're all going to be probably very engaged. I mean, I'm, I, I love the country. I'm glad I live in it. I'm so thankful that the Lord had me born in the 1900s, and now we're in the 2000s, um, that I get to live here. We're engaged in this process, and it's our, I think it's our Christian duty to be engaged in the process here in America um, that's going on over this next month. It's a gift from God. Now, but let's say this. We all love America as well. Like last summer, when we had the Olympics, or this past summer when we had the Olympics, we're all like, USA, win everything. We got like 8,000 gold medals or whatever, and we beat everybody, and we're all proud. Like, yeah, we're the best. We're the best. We're America. And even in the fall here, we kind of support our, our sports team, whatever your sports team is. You know, you get your sports team. And so we all kind of live this emphatic, tenacious life when we talk about our sports team and we talk about our country or fill in the blank, whatever it is that gets you going. I mean, we have those things. And he's saying, consider how emphatically or tenaciously you live for your sports team or your country. And he's and Paul is saying, therefore, based on that, how much more then should you live for your citizenship in heaven? That sports team, this country, all those things are temporary. And you show emphatic, tenacious, like exuberant joy in that. Then based on your, your lifestyle or your, your citizenship in heaven, how much more then should you have an emphatic life for Jesus because your citizenship is, is in heaven? And that's much more important than your love of this particular football team or this particular country. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying this is far more important. So we should have a very, very tenacious 
lifestyle towards Christ, but also balanced, balanced, tenacious. Now, let me explain this balanced part because we see it right there in 27. Notice these two words where he says you need to be standing firm and striving. Which one? Yes. Like this, that's basically what he's saying. This is already for us describing the already not yet nature of what it means to be a believer. And what I mean by that is we're already in Christ, completely forgiven. And we are, in some cases, it says that we are already seated in the heavenlies in Ephesians 1. So like, that's the already, which is, I'm completely forgiven in Christ. There is absolutely not going to be any sin ever counted against me. So I need to stand firm in the gospel, the truth that's been declared. Okay. But I also am still alive and I have sin working itself out in me and I sin and I do things I don't like and I have this struggle within me. And this is all, this is not yet part that's true, but that's really finding its ultimate fulfillment in heaven when I don't sin anymore and I'm in the not yet. So I need to stand firm and I need to strive. We have, a, have to have a balance of both of those. It's, it's, it's not either or, it's both and. A balanced, tenacious Christian lifestyle is what he's calling for. So when we think about the, uh, the standing firm, we think remembering who I am in Christ, my identities in Christ. I'm going to stand firm in that. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to rest in Christ. I'm going to rest in the already. And I'm going to make sure I keep that in balance. I'm not ever going to think that my right standing with God is based on my performance and what I do. I'm always going to remember it's based on what Christ has done already. However, I also, as he says, we're going to strive. We're going to see, see that all of you are standing firm in one spirit and striving aside for the faith in the gospel. So we also have this striving, this struggle, this conscious constant effort forward fighting not yet i have sin in my life i want to see it go away i want it over and we have to have a balance between living in both of those as believers and tenaciously moving both of them forward remembering who we are in christ and moving forward as a believer seeing um sanctification and discipleship and mission happen in our life and so we see this where he says we need to have both of these happening so 27 and 28 when he says, only let your manner of worthy of, of life be worthy of the gospel, your citizenship, so that you can stand firm and strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened by anything of your opponents. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, letting us know that we're definitely going to be saved. And that is from God. And now in 29, he goes into this last one. So the fourth one was, just to summarize it again, that we need to live a tenacious Christian life, balanced Christian life. Now he goes into this last one. And this last one is how we think about, as a believer, when suffering comes our way. Look what he says in 29. And this is striking language. You're not going to find this kind of language anywhere else in the New Testament when he talks about um, what suffering is for Christians. A lot of times we just think it's inevitable. Look what he says. For it has been, watch this, granted to you. So he's using a category to help understand it as gift. It has been granted to you. Congratulations. This is a gift from God to you. Oh, what is it? I like gifts. What is it? I'm so excited. What is it? Oh, 
Look what he says. For it has been granted. Now, the first one's awesome. For it has been granted to you as a gift to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe. And so he's saying your belief, your faith, your salvation. If you are a believer, that's a gift. That's a granting to you from the Lord that you know him. That's a gift. I'm, I'm happy about that one. Really pleased. But what's the other one? He goes, not only for the sake that you should believe, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you had now. That I had and now still have. So he's, what he's wanting us to think about is. If we're going to say yes for me to live as Christ. Then that might mean more than likely in different scenarios here in this country. But certainly a possibility that we will experience suffering for Christ. And the way that we're to think about that is. Gift from God. Gift from God to suffer for Christ. Now, that's where I said these last two is we got to do some thinking about that. That's some deep reflection on how we understand um, living for Jesus. And what we mean is this. Um, I think that we can think about it this way. One of the major comforts over the last 2000 years of Christianity and all the saints that have died for Christ. Um, Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the deaths of his saints or martyrs. Psalm 116, 15. So the Lord looks at them and sees them as absolutely precious, those who would suffer for Christ. Um, Blessed are you who are persecuted. Matthew 5, 12, I think it is. And so one of the major comforts that Christians can have as they're experiencing suffering for Christ over the last 2,000 years is that they're knowing that this suffering that I'm receiving is not outside of the sovereign hand of God, but is instead right in the exact plan of a sovereign God. He is bringing it about And the fact that it's happening is evidence that God's hand is there, that it is his design. And that when you suffer, it is a unique way that that Christians who suffer get to see the glory of Christ. A very unique way. This is a gift. That's why it's gift. There's a very special way that those who suffer for Christ get to see and understand the glory of Christ that most people don't. And so this is a gift for us whenever we get to suffer. And we're thinking that doesn't sound... Appealing. But as I said, this language that Paul is using is quite startling because it's not in the New Testament um, to say it's a gift. And so what Paul's wanting to do, as I said in the very beginning, this uh, this letter or epistle, Paul's wanting to adjust their theology. And this is what he's wanting. This is what he's wanting to think. This is the final kind of understanding the the bottom line, if you will, of point five. He's wanting the Philippians and us who might experience suffering for Christ, to think this way. Whenever we experience suffering, we don't think of it in terms of just being inevitable. I'm a a believer in Jesus. I'm going to walk down the road and live for Christ. Surely people are going to bring suffering to me. That's just inevitable. It's more than that. What he's saying is it's also a manifestation of the graciousness of God towards you. That's remarkable. That's why this language is so startling. Wow. Suffering for Christ has been granted to me. It's not granted to all, but it is a gift to me. He has decided that he wants to let me in some way see a manifestation of his glory in a unique way that some people don't get to. And when I do, I get to know Christ in a deeper and intimate way. As a matter of fact, Psalm 16, 15 says, 
I am now precious in the sight of God for those who experience martyrship or suffering, those kinds of saints. And so if you're going to say for me to live as Christ, then we should, point number five, suffer well for the glory of Jesus. And it's going to be different here. I I know. And for some of you, it might be that God calls you out of this country. He might call you to the 1040 window. He might call you to Southeast Asia. He might call you to be a missionary in Africa. He might call you you to Europe, which is increasingly secular. But he might call you out of here and you get to be one of these people who maybe, because America is just so different, experience a unique way of understanding the glory of God in a deeper way that you might be called to be granted to be a sufferer for Christ. Now, that's the first five. That's for me to live as Christ. These are the ways Paul wants us to think. But then secondly, the second godly desire, and this is my conclusion, is to go be with Christ in heaven. So I just want to look at that for one second and then we'll conclude in worship through the Lord's Supper and song. We see in verse 21, it says, for me to live as Christ. And look what he says, to die is gain. And then in 23, look what he says. I am hard pressed between the two. And he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. And this next phrase, this next clause is key for us. For that is far better. Now, don't don't mess up here. Don't think that's just Paul's opinion. Paul's just writing this. So it's just got to be Paul's opinion. Because Paul is carried along by the Holy Spirit. And these are God's words. God is telling us it's far better. Are we making our home here in a place that we're only supposed to be here for a transient amount of time? Are we making our home here when this is not our home? We, we have to train our minds every day, maybe, to go back to the end of verse 23 and convince ourselves to say, for that is far better. It's far better to be with Christ than here. So when we see these two godly desires, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. It is far better to be with Christ. I should die and be with Christ whenever the Lord brings that about. I want that to happen. I'm not saying that you need to cause it. I'm saying that when it finally happens, we should all be saying, amen, finally, hallelujah. That's better. I can't wait. I want to go there. Bring it about, Lord Jesus. Hasten the day that your second coming happens. Or, Lord, help me be faithful as I live for Christ. Let it be fruitful labor. And at the end of my life, let my mind believe the end of verse 23, which is, it's far better now. It's far better. Now, why would it be far better? I've written down, I think, three things. There's maybe more, but let me just tell you these three. The first reason I think it'll be far better is we will be free from evil. We're surrounded by it now. We're surrounded by it. I think it's C.S. Lewis says, for unbelievers, this, is, this earth is the closest to heaven they'll ever be. For believers, this earth is the closest to hell we'll ever be. So it's far better when we're in heaven because we will be free from evil. There will be no evil around us ever. Imagine that. In ourselves or around. We'll be free from evil. The second reason I think this is better as Paul says, to die and be with Christ. Just consider this. We will finally be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Can you even conceive of not having sinful thoughts anymore? Not feeling evil 
desires towards things anymore. You will finally be completely conformed into the image of Christ. Your human nature, which is corrupt now, will be fully made human like Christ's human nature. And you will not sin or even have desires to sin anymore. You'll be conformed into the image of Christ fully. No longer to sin. I mean, astounding. That's why it's far better. And this third one, I think, is this is just the best. We will finally be face to face with Christ. We will finally fellowship with our Savior face to face. We see in a mirror dimly now, 1 Corinthians 13. But one day, we'll see him face to face. When you think about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, when Jesus became incarnate, whenever he became a man, he, after he died from the resurrection, in the resurrection and ascended into heaven, he didn't lose his humanity. He didn't all of a sudden just become back to spirit. You know, like the, the, the father and the, and the spirit are spirit. You can't see them. But whenever the second person in the Trinity, Jesus, became man, after he died and was resurrected, he is now 100% and one man and God forever. Jesus now is visibly able to be seen. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, is 100% man now still. So when I say face-to-face fellowship with Jesus, like, I mean it literally. Jesus is in heaven right now, sitting on the throne, 100% human, 100% God, ruling and reigning in heaven. And there will be a day when we will go there because it's far better, and we will get to physically see him. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. D.A. Carson says, as he's considering this verse, this is what he says. To die is gain since our ministry, the things that we're doing, our ministry is just saying all those five things. For me to live as Christ, it means those five things. And he says, to die is gain since our ministry is not an end in of itself, but that is now swallowed up in the glorious delight of the unshielded presence of the exalted Jesus himself. I want to read that again, just in case you didn't hear that, because this is crazy awesome. He's saying when we die, the ministry that we're in to die is gain because the ministry or to live as Christ is over. And that's just that's just not an end in of itself. But the end is Jesus, the source, the 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 ocean, the, the substance is Christ. And he's saying that all that's over and it's now swallowed up in the glorious delight of the unshielded presence of the exalted Jesus himself. That is what we will experience forever with ever increasing joy forever. It will never stop because he is infinite and he can give to the finite forever more mercies, more understanding, more joy forever. That's why die dying is gain. So for us, here we are. And, and you know, it's almost like torture. I paint that picture and you're like, oh, yes, I want that. And I'm like, okay, put that on the side to live as Christ right now. <laughs> That's coming. I know I shouldn't have done that, but Paul does it, so I'm okay. It's like, but right now, here we are to live as Christ. Don't you want to say yes to live as Christ? Yes, fruitful labor then, because I'm aiming for that day. So for me to live as Christ 
Every day I wake up is a day that he has given me, that he wants me to live a life that is going to say yes today is to live as Christ. I'm going to be others focused by helping them move along in their sanctification, helping them with their joy. I'm going to help them give glory to Christ. And for myself, every day is a gift to me where I'm going to have a tenacious life living for Christ. If suffering comes my way, it's my opportunity to realize that this is the, the glory of God being revealed to me in a unique and special way. And I am going to I'm going to go through it because one day I'm going to get to see him face to face forever. Remedy. When I said last week, I couldn't couldn't get past 21 because I said. We can talk about the implications, but I want to know, are you going to do it? It's because. It's not just something we walk in flippantly. This isn't just something I'll try it for a little while. Maybe if it doesn't work, it's not like college. Try for a little while. Man, I'll take seven years at it. I'll just transfer if it doesn't work there. This is this is our whole life. It's not something we walk into flippantly. That's why I said, are we going to do it? And you all came back, which makes me think you're saying yes. And so <laughs> we have these five things out in front of us. And we're saying, and the Holy Spirit, not me, is pleading with you saying, well, then let's do it. Because I've given you a deposit. I've given you the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see in Philippians 2. That you can live this life. And all the while it was Christ himself. The spirit of Christ doing it in you. So let's say yes. To live as Christ. And to die as gain. Let's pray. Lord I pray for my friends here. I pray that God as we. Go into a time of worship. As we. Take the Lord's supper and reflect upon. Your body broken and your blood shed. And then go into a time of song where we just extend out to you with our voices. The glory and worship that you are due together as a body. That there would be a special um, coming of your presence. The spirit would be thick in the room. You're here now. Would you come now in power? I pray for my friends if there's places here and including myself even in just these five things we looked at to live as Christ, if there's places in our life that we can say, I'm not living for Christ there. I don't, I don't think of others in the way that the Bible is calling me towards. I don't give opportunities to worship to the people around me. Or there's no way I would want that kind of suffering in my life. I don't want to experience God that way. Or we're all about the already I know who I am in Christ, but we don't struggle and strive in the not yet and desire to see sin be put. Whatever it is, Lord, you're dealing uniquely with every single person here. I pray that spirit, as you convict, you would comfort and they would be brought towards Christ. And just find their only hope in him. Would you do that in my own life and for all of us? God, we love you. We're so dependent upon you. We thank you for your word. We pray that as we leave and as we go from here, that Philippians 121 would not be something that we quickly forget. But it could be our life verse. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.